The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. Good evening. Welcome along. A special hello if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, and this was recorded in the past. Hello from back then. Great to be able to listen at your leisure. So go and subscribe. You can take it around with you anywhere you like. And it comes sans ads and you get all of this guff as well. Not just the features. Most of the features will be up on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage in any case. And we've got a Facebook page as well, which is a lot of fun. You can see some blue rat poo there. Can you give me an answer? What on earth is going on? I'm trying to get rid of the rats. It's that poison that you put out. Now they're eating it and thinking, oh, that's nice. Thank you very much. I'll have some more. Or are they? Expert advice welcomed. I would love if you went to YouTube and searched small faces tin soldier high quality small faces tin soldier high quality you will see pp arnold belting out uh, with steve marriott of small faces one of the most iconic pieces of music from the 1960s uh, it really is a cracker it's a lovely performance pp arnold was the singer to the stars cat stevens and eric clapton barry gibb the lineup just goes on and on she's an amazing story starting with ike and tina turner as a very young teenager and mother of two it's a hell of a story she's a great chat i entreat you stick around after the commercial break pp arnold will be with us The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details, visit dockedge.nz. Thanks to the promotional and marketing wing of some company or another, I got the opportunity to chat with P.P. Arnold this week ahead of her playing at in Auckland on May the 20th at the Power Station. I wasn't that familiar with P.P. Uh, Arnold, but a little bit of a sniff around, you saw a CV of some majesty, and then just having a look and listen at some of her work. It, it's amazing. She has a new album out, which was actually made, I think, in the late 60s, uh, 70s, with Barry Gibb. Never, ever been released until now. I managed to catch up with P.P. Arnold over the phone at a strange time in Spain. Hello. Hello, P.P. Arnold. It's Graham Hill from Auckland, New Zealand. Hi, Graham. God, what time is it over there? It's three in the morning. Three in the morning, your time? Oh, yeah, I'll do anything for you, P.P. Arnold. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Don't believe everything I say. Maybe that's the... F- oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was kind of weird. I thought, I, I thought it sounded... It sounded too close for comfort. Hey, lovely to speak with you. I'm going to be telling everybody when you're on and and, and what, what's happening, but I'll I'll just use this time to um, chat about your career, huh? so we'll riff into it. Okay. Trust trust me on that one. Well, I got no choice there. Okay. No, okay. Cool. Okay. We're really lucky to have on the line Pepe Arnold. Now, if you don't know the name immediately, you will have heard her in many 
many tunes, classics, all-time classics, especially from that amazing flux of creativity that was happening in London in the late 60s. Ichiku Park, Tin Soldier, anyone? Pepe Arnold did the very first version the world ever heard of Cat Stevens' beautiful tune, The First Colors the Deepest. But the career goes on much longer than that and began earlier. Pepe Arnold, you were a singer from a young age. It's the gospel tradition in the United States, right? It certainly is. I came here singing. I was born into a family of gospel singers. And so, yeah, I've been singing all my life and loving it. How did you get your break to sing with the iconic Iquettes of Ike and Tina Turner fame? Wow, just just by the grace of God, really. <laughs> just a day in the life, just destiny just knocked on my door and uh, I was called by a couple of girlfriends who were in a bit of a fix because they were going to audition to be Iquettes. One of them was already an Iquettes. Ike and Tina had two sets of Iquettes, right? So they had one set that sang with the review mm. and the other set went on the road with the Dick Clark show. So the other girl, Gloria Scott, was one of the girls that went on the road with the Dick Clark show. So she knew that Ike and Tina needed new uh, Iquettes. They called me. Uh, there was another girl who was supposed to go to the audition with them. She didn't show up. So uh, they called me out of desperation, really, because I never really, uh, I never had an ambition to be a singer, or, 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 I mean, to be a professional singer anyway. I mean, I sang all my life, but I never thought about being a professional singer. But uh, Maxine Smith and Gloria Scott, they called me that morning and I was like really having, I had already prayed to God to show me a way out of the life that I was living at that time. So they called me and I said, oh no, I can't go. There's no way. I was, I was a young girl. I was in a, an abusive teen marriage and I said to them, my husband's not going to let me go. He doesn't let me go anywhere. And she says, oh, tell him anything. Tell him you're going to the grocery store. Bam. And she hung up the phone. So uh, I didn't really get a chance to, to say no. Next thing I know, they were at my door. All I could do was tell my husband a lot <laughs> and go with them. And uh, about uh, half an hour later, I was in Ike and Tina Turner's living room singing Dancing in the Street. Whoa. And that's how it all got started. <laughs> yeah, that relationship, well, it did. It ended because of this, really, didn't it? And did you have kids early? too early <laughs> extremely early i was just a baby myself yeah. and uh it was a bit of a situation you'll have to read my autobiography to hear that story all of that story all right but yeah right. yeah it was uh, i was at slide stone said a baby making baby when i joined i can tina turner at 17 i already had two young children yeah <laughs> what was it like working with Ike and Tina Turner? Because, you know, there are a lot of stories out there. 
tell stories are true stories, that's for sure. But I like to always remember the musical side of things, and it was just fantastic, you know. You know, working with Tina, you know, to but Tina, that, that that's my first professional experience. And it was like, and I had, like I said, I got married early, and I had to leave school and everything. So, you know, working with Tina was kind of like going to finish in school. She was known as the female James Brown. Yeah. You know, she was simply the best even back then from the beginning. Everybody knew of Ike and Tina, you know, because they had had that big hit with Think It's Gonna Work Out Fine and You're Just a Fool in Love and see them on TV on all those early rock and roll shows and the Dick Clark shows and everything. So, yeah, it was, uh, I never, never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would be on a stage with Tina Turner, 17 years old, in the situation that I was coming out of. But, you know, so I became an ICAT. Yeah, day in the life changed my life. Right. Now, did you witness Ike being a, a dominating sort of bully, as the reputation goes? I, met, I witnessed many men being dominating bullies, and yes, I witnessed Ike being a dominating bully. But unfortunately, it still happens. You know, there's still, you know, many women are, live in abusive relationships, yeah. you know, even today, you know. And back then, women had no power. I had watched that all my life, just through family members and, and situations. But, you know, with Ike and Tina, yeah, it was, it, was, it was difficult, you know, because you're on the road and you're traveling. And when you're traveling in a review like that, you're like a family, you know. In those days, I mean, we went on the road for like 90 days. We, we would do these 90-day tours. Wow. So you were on the road, you were working. 87 out of those 90 days, and so every day you're together, you know, like uh, I can Tina rode in the Cadillac in front of us, but, you know, the whole band was on the bus and everybody knows what's going on, you know, every night you're together, and so, yeah, it was difficult, but, you know, I can see the domestic life, you know, is unfortunate, but there was a lot of things that made that the way it was, because Ike was quite a womanizer. He had more than one woman on the road with us, you know. So when you got a situation like that going on, you know, there's going to always be problems. And to have to witness that for me was really, really, really difficult because I was very young and I was already quite introverted and quite shy and uh, as a result of my own young experience that Tina had, like, it was Tina that sort of planted that seed that got me out of my situation. It wasn't nice to witness that. No. All right. Now, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that maybe goes unappreciated a little. It happened to Jimi Hendrix. He moved to England and... He really, really flourished there. It, it became part of the music scene of London, was welcomed and was just part of that creative force that was going on there at the time. Beatles, Stones, 
And this kind of happened to you as well. You went to London and it was a good thing. What was the experience? Oh, well, look, the experience is, is to, we'll go into some detail, but how did you find yourself in London with that white-hot music scene? You know, I found myself in London as, as an ICAD, as part of the IT Tina Turner review. You know, Tina had had the massive hit there with River Deep Mountain High that had just completely flopped in the States. You know, that record just did not happen in the States back then. You know, it was too black for the white stations to play it and too white for the black stations to play it. So it's just like bombed. Then suddenly we were in England and a whole nother kind of situation, you know, coming out of the civil rights revolution that was going on in America into the whole rock and roll revolution, a whole nother kind of cosmopolitan world that was really new for us. So, so it was different. It was a whole life. And as far as Jimmy, Jimmy and I were both there at the same time. Jimmy and I were like these two black American artists, like coming from like similar backgrounds and upbringings and everything in the middle of this whole rock and roll revolution that was going on. Jimmy knew why he was there. You know, he, he was there. He was, it was his time. Whereas, I didn't really know what was going on because I never, agreed. I never even planned to be in the music industry, and let alone to suddenly find myself in England as a solo artist. You know, working with with, with white producers, and you know, I had white boyfriends. You know, that was not a done thing in America <laughs> back in those days. You know, for a black woman, it was like a whole another world, you know, and like you say, Jenny, both Jimmy and I were embraced with so much love and so much enthusiasm because all of the audiences, all of the people in, in England, they were, everybody was so into the American music, into the blues, into the jazz, into the soul, in, into the R&B stacks, Atlantic things. And so, like, both of us being there from the States, from that environment, English producers and musicians and artists, the chance to collaborate and experiment. We were part of a whole experimental thing that was going on that hadn't even happened in the States. So it was really, really, really exciting. And uh, Jimmy and I, as the universe would have it, you know, we just happened to live right around the corner from each other, you know. So he was like my sole brother that was like really helping me because I was so shy. He would just tell me, Pat, you got to go with the experience. So his whole thing was all about the experience. And I first met him, he came to, I was doing a gig at a club called The Bag of Nails. And uh, my guitar player, Roger Dean, uh, said to me that there's a brother in the audience and he wants to know if he can jam with the band, you know. Huh. So I told him that, tell him he could jam on the second set, you know. Because <laughs> I never let anybody jam on the first set and just in case they blew me away, you know. And he came on on the second set and blew me away anyway and blew oh. everybody's mind. So, the, yeah, that's how we first met. The finest guitarist that's ever strapped on a guitar. And you say, oh, no, that's no, dear, that's... second song, please. Wow. 
That's right. And what a lovely, lovely man he was. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so tragic that he, you know, left us so soon, you know. But, you know, time is only in our minds, I guess. Well, you also had important personal friendships with people like Steve Marriott. And Mick Jagger really encouraged you, didn't he? Well, he did. It was Mick who, who invited me to stay in the U.K., his manager, Andrew Lou Goldham, had this new independent record label, Immediate Records. And Andrew was really into, like, Steel Spectre and all of the West Coast girl group kind of things and everything. And actually, it was Ian Stewart, the Stones roadie, that kind of, like, planted the seed in Mick's head that, you know, it might be a good idea. They thought that I was really good. I didn't even, I didn't even know I, I had no idea that people thought that I was good. I was just happy to be on the stage with Tina Turner, really. I never really thought about whether I was good because I was learning, you know. I was just so young, and I just loved to sing, so with me. But they saw something in me that I didn't hadn't even seen in myself, and they, like, really developed that and put me on the path to... Uh, finding my way, you know, which I'm still doing. <laughs> I'm kind of still just still on the on the path, you know, still developing my voice, still developing. You know, it's just so 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 great to be able to sing all of those songs, you know, like the new album, The Turning Tide, for instance. Yeah. I'm singing all of those songs for the first time. I never performed them. Until last year on the, on my tour, I had my uh, 50th anniversary tour and released the album. I was like really blessed to be able to get that license from Universal and get those tunes off the shelf and out there because I never stopped believing in those productions and all that work that Barry and I did all those years ago and you know, and, and and how much fun it was doing those tracks with Eric after being on tour with him and the Delaney Bonnie Band. Th- those recordings were like the next stage in my personal development as an artist, and they were never released, so it was like a big hole that had never been filled. I just want to tell people that the Barry you're talking about, that's Barry Gibb. You almost did this album of of this material and and he was well behind it and it never got released. And this is the thing that's finally been released from the late 60s, early 70s. No, it it, it was uh, 68. All the recordings of Barry were like 68 to 70.
was at a time that I was at a crossroads because the immediate records had folded and I was, you know, lost. I didn't know anything. You know, I, I suddenly, like, been dropped into this whole music industry and, and immediate was like my family, my musical home with, you know, all the work with the small faces. We were all label mates and all of those things that were happening were just suddenly stopped and everybody went in different directions. I knew nothing about the record industry. I knew nothing about the business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I knew. <laughs> so Barry was kind of at a crossroads because he and his brothers had split up at that time. Barry wanted to be recording. He wanted to be in the studio. I wanted to be in the studio. He loved my voice. I just loved his songs. I would hang out with him. We would just hang out and the guy just sort of like songs just run through him like a river, yeah. you know. So he wrote all these great songs and, and then we went in the studio and we, we recorded them. But it was kind of a political situation because, you know, Robert Stigwood was the manager of the BG and of course he didn't want Barry to be producing me. You know, there was a bit of a split going on, so there was this, like, whole thing. I, I was got kind of caught in the middle of it all. There came a time when Barry had to get back with his brothers because, you know, the Bee Gees were, like, really special. I was a big Bee Gees fan because I grew up singing with my brothers and sisters and, as well, and I know how special and magical it is to have a sound like that, a family sound where it's just so unique. You know, there came a time when Barry got back with his brothers and then when that happened, you know, the, the recordings that we were doing just got stopped. Robert stopped them. They were put on the shelf and that was it. Yeah. And we met up years later in the uh, late 70s. And uh, we were going to, like, do some, finish the recordings. Because, I mean, there's quite a few on, on, on the turning tide. And there's even more. There's, there's, there's still more. Mm. I've taken the best of all of those. And then after, after I was working with Barry, Robert also managed Eric Clapton. So uh, Eric was uh, getting ready to go on tour to do that Delaney and Bonnie and Friends tour. Uh, the 70s, I, I call the 70s in, in my book, in my autobiography, the 70s are like the lost years for me because I didn't have a label and I didn't have management. And then I tragically lost my daughter in a car accident. And it was just awful, you know. And then when I came back into the industry in the 80s, everything had changed. Yeah. Have, I, have I lost you? No, no, I'm here. No, I'm all ears. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. We're back with Pepe Arnold, singer to the stars in the swinging 60s. There's one recording that you feature really strongly on, and it's one of my favourite artists of all time, and he's a bit mysterious. That quiet, sad angel, Nick. Drake, you sang on Poor uh, Boy, on Nick Drake. What was it like working with Nick? Because it wasn't just going, ooh, ah, you did a lot of the chorus. Nobody cares how steep my stairs And nobody smiles if you cross the stairs 
he's a lovely guy. You know, just very, very, very quiet and and cool and you know, unassuming and and you know, a creative genius, another creative genius. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't meet him after that session. I never saw him again after that session. And uh. we just went in, and he had this song, and um, he told us what he wanted, and we just gave it to him. And I never heard the track until years later, you uh. know, that, that track. So yeah. I was really saddened that he also you know, shortly after that time, you know, he passed away as well. How did you get to record the first cut as the deepest, being the very first version? I would have thought Cat, as a singer-songwriter, would have wanted it for himself. Well, I think he did. I would have given you all of my heart But there's someone who's torn it apart And he's taken almost all that I've got but if you wanna try to love again, baby, I'll try to love again. But I First cut is the deepest, baby, I know. First cut is the deepest. Cause when it comes to being lucky, he's cut. When it As he was then, he was hanging around Soho at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, I knew him as Steve, right? 
We didn't call him Cat Steve. And he lived right around the corner from Denmark Street, just off Tottenham Court Road, is, was the street where all the musicians meet, right? That's where all the music shops were. Yeah. And Immediate Records was like on New Oxford Street, just around the corner from there, next door to Dick James Music. And Steve lived right behind Immediate Records. His father had a, had a, had a Greek restaurant. And so he had this really cool flat in the back. <laughs> and he was just a lovely, lovely guy. Another lovely, lovely, lovely man. Yeah. So, yeah, the song just, it was just another gift from the universe for me. What a factory that was, that time in that small area. And, and, and it really and was. Just amazing. It, it really was. You know, there's a musical about the small faces that's out in the UK. You haven't heard about it? No. It's, it's called All or Nothing, and it's really, like, really, it, it's, like, huge. It's in the West End now. It's been in the provinces, and oh. it's in the uh, West End at, uh, at the Ambassador Theater. My character is in it. They've got me in there, and there's a whole scene of like, well, it's not how Steve and I really met, but it it works for the, for the <laughs> it works for the musical, and uh, they've got me, my character singing, you know, Tin Soldier and Angel of the Morning, and I'm gonna see it when I go to London this week. They've also added First Cut is the Deepest and put that in the musical as well. So, awesome, you know. Yeah, it really is. You should check it out. Go online and, I will. and uh, Google it. Do you pinch yourself when you think about how many creative geniuses that you have worked with? Well, strangely enough, they're almost all British, aren't they? But when you line it up, you're on some of the most iconic pieces of music in the, <laughs> in the rock and roll library, really. Ichiku Park, Tin Soldier. You did the first version of Cat Stevens' first cut. You've worked with Roger Waters, Small Faces, Eric Clapton. It just goes on and on into the modern era Glad as well. It. Primal Scream. <laughs> Good God. Yeah, we're going to be doing that. I'm going to be doing that. I'm looking forward to this tour. I am really, really excited. And you're making me even more excited as I talk to you because it's been very difficult for me. My career, it's like you say, you know, like I've done so much work and I, I managed to stay in the industry as an independent artist by collaborating, you know, with different people. People, I'm just so blessed that people liked my sound and they, they called me out, you know, in times when I didn't know where the next thing was coming from, you know, so... You know, I've just really been blessed to have worked with and known and grown up, you know, because you got to remember, we were all very young. You know, it was a time we were all just like very young, enthusiastic, just really talented, all these talented young artists. We had no idea that that music was going to like still be happening 60 yeah. years later. I'm still here, and I've got my health and my strength, probably even more because I can appreciate it because, you know, it, it actually seemed that I wouldn't be able to have a career like this at, at this time in my life. Okay, I may not have all the riches <laughs> and the fame as a lot of my peers or anything, but 
I'm still here and I got my health and strength and, you know, it ain't over until it's over. So who knows what the future holds? Yeah, well, it's a great repertoire you can call on. And just, it really is. Yeah, just, just regarding your work as a, I suppose, a hired gun vocalist with a lot of people, um, <laughs> for the level of the people that you've done work with, it's got to be that you're a good person to hang out with as well. That's important. So, you know, I think about that. It makes me feel good. You, 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 you're making me... Have, have some nice feelings with just on, in my shoulders here because, you know, like I was never, I've never been like, um, I'm just me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I came into it all. I was very shy. I never understood why they chose me, you know what I mean, to to stay and do all these things. And, and I'm not, I had kids. I had lots of responsibility. I wasn't like a hangout party girl or yeah. anything like that. And so, like, I just managed to be able to to just to sing and just to share this gift that's been given to me to do just that. And working with so many different artists, it, it's helped me to grow as a singer and to use my instrument, singing so many different genres of music, you know, as well as all the rock and roll and everything. I've had, I've done a lot of, uh, musical theater and stuff like that. So well, you did Jesus Christ Superstar. You were on Jesus Christ Superstar too. On the album, yeah, I recorded Madeline Bell, Doris Troy, and I. We were like all the gospel, you know, put yeah. that kind of really kind of soul American gospel thing on top of what Andrew was doing. Yeah. And by doing Jesus Christ Superstar, when I came back to England, in the 80s when Andrew was doing, we had the, uh, uh, auditioning for Starlight Express, I had the opportunity to be back in London just at that time and to get the role of Belle. I was the original Belle in, mm. in the original cast of Starlight Express. It's really hard to keep an interview under two hours with someone who's had such a vast I and wide know, career. It really is. <laughs> well, it really is, and I tend to like go on a bit because you, you guys get oh, that's me excited, great. you know. Yeah, yeah. Because no, that, you take me to, to 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 a very happy place, and it was such a great time. If I were just to line up the the world famous acts that you've worked with and recorded with, I could just read them out, and that'd be about ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> So there you go. So I, I suspect uh, not only were you good at what you did at a place and time which was so pivotal, maybe the greatest yeah, time in, in rock and roll, but I, I think they'd also like just having you around. They must have. So good for oh, you. Oh, well, I'm definitely looking forward to coming to Auckland and, and I hope to meet you there. Are you, I'm sure you're going to be at the gig. I'll be up the front. Okay, all right. You better let me know. You better introduce yourself and let me know. I've, I've, it's been so lovely, you know, like talking to to you and uh, everybody that I've talked to. You guys are just making me so excited about you, you know, the fact that, you know, because you can be, I, I'm not, I, 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 even though I toured with Roger and I was there with Roger. and Roger Waters. Yeah, with Roger Waters. I was with Rogers from 1999 to 2008. 
as a result of working with him on his Amused to Death album. And that track that we did, the Perfect Sense track, that was like a major, major part of that, of both of his tours, In the Flesh, the In, In the Flesh tours and Dark Side of the Moon tours. People know me from the um, performances of that, of that track, which was like my solo. Oh, the great gig, gig in the sky. No, 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 I didn't do great gigs. I wanted to do it, but see, like, if I had did it, I would have took it to another place, you know, and they wanted some... <laughs> They wanted somebody to do it that could sing it just like the record. I'm not good at copying people. Ah, uh, gotcha. You know, I, I, I'm not good at that, you know. But Carol Kenyon did a great job with great gig. But my my, my tune is, is Perfect Sense. Hold on, hold on, soldier. I recorded that track with Roger, and I don't think he's going to find anybody that can copy me on Perfect Sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what he told me the other day as well. <laughs> ah, I didn't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> now you're telling another tale. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, I'll, I, I, I started with a fat one, I and, I, and I'll end with, with that as well. Hey, Thank you, thank you so much, Pepe Arnold. We look forward to seeing you here at the Power Station, 20th of May. Thank you. Everybody go out and buy those tickets and fill up that venue. Yeah. And you can go to uh, pearnold.com. I've got a new website, and it's got everything all about everything about Pepe Arnold is there. I got a... You can check out everything that I've been doing and I'm getting ready to do, you know, this, you know the new album with Steve Craddock. Uh, will be released this fall, and we're calling that the New Adventures of P.P. Arnold. So, and it's great. It's got some great, great, great songs and collaborations. Paul Weller has given me a couple of great songs, and we're doing a kind of duet thing on one at the end of one of the tunes picture. It's just, it's just an exciting time. P.P. Arnold, <laughs> all the best. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, being a great sport, good for you. Thank you, Graham. See you soon. See ya. Okay. <laughs>
Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival, New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. New spot and weather coming at you very shortly. Uh, thank you very much for listening this evening. Keep it up because of the story of Rua Kanana, our outsider tale with Jared Hindmarsh, the other side of the Infobest. <laughs>